0: Funny now, but back in the day, the imaginariness of the romance with Eva caused me great grief and confusion. It made me feel lost and ashamed. From my perspective, now I think I was subconsciously stalling, biding time, avoiding commitment to any reality, because I didn't know what to do with my life. I just knew I needed to stop being an idiot. It worked out great. I failed fantastically in San Francisco with Eva, and came here to New York, where clearly I am supposed to be, because within a year, I had a girlfriend and was in a cool band. Several cool girlfriends and cool bands later, I found myself single in 40, at my friend's birthday party, dancing with a hot professor who is now the famous novelist, Charlie Columbine. It was a Sunday afternoon in October. Our mutual friend, Kay Pointer, a lesbian witch professor who specializes in fairy tale logic magic, is turning 60 and she's celebrating with a Madonna-themed birthday party at a Williamsburg hamburger bar that has a music room in the back. I'm there, wearing 501s, a pink and queer Circus Amok t-shirt, and maroon suspenders. I don't know many other people at that party, so I'm doing what I usually do when faced with similar circumstances, namely, dancing. Suddenly, an attractive, brown-haired, middle-aged lady in a miniskirt shimmies over to me graciously and flirtatiously. We end up dancing together for the whole party. She tells me how she saw my band play at a delightfully dingy East Village club I used to rock at before it became a Chipotle. At the end of the party, She gives me her email address and says, Let's stay in touch. She asks me when I'm playing again. I say, I'll be at the Bowery Ballroom with an all-female David Bowie tribute band called Queen Bitch in a couple of weeks. She says, cool. I'm attracted to her even though she seems straight and as a rule, I do not allow myself to fall for straight women because anyone can tell you, that way lies misery. She told me her name was Professor Anderson but that everyone called her Charlie. Her name might also have been something else, but I can at least tell you that the email address worked. I'm certain of this, because I emailed her later and asked her out on a date, and she said yes. We went to see Hairclip, an indie rock band of 12-year-olds from Baltimore that she had said she liked. They're in town for CMJ playing an odd afternoon show in Soho, and then later at a warehouse party in Brooklyn. I meet her and her son Harry, and we go to both Hairclip shows with some time off in between. At the afternoon show, she touches my shoulder flirtatiously and gives me a copy of her epistolary novel, the, Penis, uh, the Pen Is My Pal. She also sweetly confessed that she did come to see me play with that Bowie band I had told her about, but she had gone outside with her friend, who needed to smoke right after our set, and when she came back in, she couldn't find me. Then we talked about how fantastic David Bowie was. Jesus, I learned so much about music, just from covering his songs. Here's my version of Moon Age Daydream.
1: (laughs) ¶¶ Papa coming for you I'm a space invader I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you Keep your mouth shut You're squawking like a big monkey bird Jump into the air
0: As soon as I sat down on the train home from that afternoon date, I dove straight into her novel, which was perfectly written, hilarious, and deep. But I have to confess that I read it with pretty much one question on my mind, and that question was, is this chick going to do me or what? It happened to be a deliciously smutty art novel, but had it been Stephen J. Hawking's A Brief History of Time, I guarantee I would have read it asking the same exact question. In the novel, she's super obsessed with her male lover, and she keeps imagining him as different characters of different ages, races, and occupations. A 20-year-old Asian male graffiti artist, a 40-year-old African male architect, a 60-year-old Peruvian female songwriter, and an 80-year-old expatriate male novelist. The details of the affairs are all different, except each one ends with the finale, of the lover's jealous ex-wife attacking her by throwing a soft drink on her in public. I don't know why she chose to revisit that scene four times, but like I said, all I was thinking about was, is this chick gonna do me? Luckily, since one of the reimagined lovers was female, there were a few lovely lesbian passages, and those piqued my interest. So even though she presented straight, I wrote to her, asking her out again, with a more clear intent, saying something like, Hello there, and thank you for the lovely day and evening. I'd like to ask you out again, but first I'd like to know if you are a lesbian. You don't seem so, but after I read your novel, I think you are maybe curious. So let me know if you'd like to go out romantically. She said yes, that she had always been straight, but was curious and would like to go out romantically but that she may need an adolescent prop like Spin the Bottle. She also told me that when she described me to her 14-year-old son Harry, he responded that I sounded like the perfect lover for her, and she agreed that this seemed true. She's only ever dated musicians, and I play music. Her field of expertise is Brazilian music, and I played for 10 years with one of the greatest avant-garde Brazilian percussionists. She's a professor, and I went to college. Ha! Could this help me to be less of an idiot? When she told me what her son said, I thought with joy, for once, my easy rapport with teenage boys gets me laid with something besides teenage boys. My brother was my best friend growing up, so I know how to get along with bros. Girls, maybe not so much, though I'm working at it like my life depends upon it, which it does. But you, dear queer... You're asking yourself, are these chicks going to do each other or what? Well, when I asked Charlie out romantically, she did say yes, but she also said that she still had relations with what she called her paramour from the penis The Pen Is My Pal. And she didn't want to give him up. He was a Slavoj Zizek kind of guy, basically a total intellectual rock star, or was he a Jeffrey Koons type? Or was he perhaps more obscure and only a star in his own country, and I only knew who he was because he was also famous in my other profession, which is dabbling? Anyway, you know what? I said sure. Because it was kind of like if you wanted to get with a hot lady, and she said, "Ah, uh, yes, but uh, my other lover is Prince or Dolly Parton, and I'm not prepared to give them up. I mean, you'd be like, Okay, yeah, that's fine. Possibly secretly wishing that you might get to meet Dolly Parton and Prince. It seemed like a good idea at the time. In addition to the potential Prince-Dolly Parton connection, there was also the reality that I had no other prospects with any such electric feeling, and I needed to get laid. Plus, a lot of people around me at that time were trying out polyamory and finding it helpful and good. Like, I was in a band with a married woman singer whose husband was a touring musician, He was allowed to get blowjobs on the road, while she was allowed to have lesbian lovers at home. We decided to have her negotiate all of our contracts. Lastly, and perhaps most significantly, I thought sharing might help split any attachment issues that might arise. In my last relationship, I had become embarrassingly codependent, and I was afraid for that to happen again. Fear is a heavy thing, right? I have an infinite number of fears surrounding the failing horror of mankind in general, war, rape, etc. But for my own personal life, my fears have only numbered four. One, I would never be able to make a living. Two, I would never have anything meaningful to do with my life. Fear number three, I would never have sex. And by sex... I mean earth-shattering, mind-blowing, oh my God, I think I'm an alien exploding into seven dimensions and then reconfiguring back into this one with a whole new way of understanding reality sex. That's what I mean by sex. Fear number four, I was afraid my mother Natalie would die in pain and alone. I'm now middle-aged and earn thousands of dollars touring with Quar, the greatest queer rock and roll band so far in history. We're kind of like Little Richard, Queen, and Joan Jett all rolled into one, so that checks off numbers one and two. And although my first girlfriend didn't last, the first time we made love, we laid out Mexican blankets on the floor of her apartment and did it for three days straight. We couldn't even tell each other's bodies apart. So that checks off number three. And then, two years ago, my mother passed peacefully, holding my hand right at sunset, her beloved time. I got to tell her how much I loved her as she died. And that evening, she took me to the underworld with her all night long. The underworld, or at least that particular corner of it that night, was all made up of rivers of flashing light crossing each other like roads, cross rivers of shining light, and all was orange and pink, and there were shadow-faced ghouls popping out at you like they do at carnival, frightening but not horrifying. In the morning I woke up, and all the world was tinted with pink. I knew everything was going to be all right. A serendipitous witchy thing happened just one week before I went to see my mother that last time. I got a last-minute call out of the blue to play with a fantastic singer-songwriter named Rachel Tension and her hardcore band, Black Female Rage, at a women's music festival, where I got to spend some wonderful moments with a great old musician friend of mine from Louisiana named Nadine. It felt like the goddess had cosmically selected me to go on this journey and see Nadine, because her father had just passed, and she told me this story. He was home, and as it became clearer and clearer, that his time was nearer and nearer. His hospice worker told her that one thing that often happens is people take a penultimate breath. You will see and hear them gasp and think that's it. But they actually have one more true last breath. And in between those two breaths, when they are as close as you can get to what lies beyond, without being completely gone from here, that is the time to lean in and whisper in their ear the feelings in your heart. And that's exactly what happened with my mother. I had been holding her hand beside her for a few hours as she slept on her comfort measures. And then all of a sudden she gasped, and she pulled my hand up to her ear. I thought, that's it, she's gone. But then I looked down at her clavicle, and I saw a tiny vein running over it still pulsing, So I leaned in and I said, I love you. I named all of her children and grandchildren and said we were all doing fine and well, and she was free to leave here and move on to the next stage. I thanked her for being a great person, a great mother, and a great grandmother. Then she exhaled, and I saw the pulse stop. I called the doctor in and he verified that she was gone. As he left the room, he put his hand over his heart and mouthed the words to me, that was a kind death. The nurses told me, you did what was hard for you, but easy for her. It was hard for me. But my mother had been very clear. She used to say to me, I told the Holy Spirit who is female, Veronica. I said, Holy Spirit? When you come for me, I will go. But don't you make me suffer. My mother was one of the funniest people I've ever met. She had perfect comic timing. One of the last solid meals she ate was a quesadilla I had cooked for her. And at one point, on her deathbed, she was looking up and reaching her hands towards something. The light? And she said, Veronica, what is that? Is that a quesadilla? There is another really, really amazing and hilarious thing that my mother did on her deathbed, and also a very deep thing that happened. And maybe I'll tell you about that at my next show. But for now, let's get back to Operation Get Baby. So, there's always been a lot of confusion around consent, right? People are afraid to just ask. People are afraid to just answer. I know I lost five years of my life because I was afraid to ask. So this time I bit the bullet. I wrote Charlie a song and I emailed it to her. It was called, What's Your Sign, Baby? What's your sign, David. And what's the last book you read? Can you teach me French theory when we're in the bed? Can you tell me a story that I never heard and then tell it again using different words? Do you like New York City as much as me? And can I touch you where the river meets the sea? Can I touch you where the river meets the sea? and joy does it make you happy to hear birds sing and is the sky blue over your apartment building is the sky blue over your apartment building Or will just one do And if I bring you flowers Will you tie my shoe What would you rather have A hammer or a nail A frying pan train ticket Or a letter in the mail What is your favorite fruit And do you have a pet? Is your martini dry Or do you like it wet And are you into meeting people You haven't met yet Are you into meeting people You haven't met yet And do you like that? If it has to be Elvis, skinny or fat, the Beatles or the Stones, Monk or Duke, or is that the kind of thing you'd never want to have to choose? Have you ever made a call from a telephone booth? Have you ever made a call from a telephone booth? <laughs> as me? And can I touch you where the river meets the sea? Can I touch you where the river meets the sea? She wrote back saying, I'm a Sagittarius and yes.